This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. I'm the host, Mel Jafari, and today my guest, Teresa Sprague, and Ghazal Farjami, and I will talk about COVID-19 in an international context and its impact on the behavior of people in public spaces in Dortmund, San Francisco, and Isfahan. In our podcast, we will also discuss how people in these examples of collective and individual societies uh, perceive and react to social distancing and uh, masking measures in public spaces. And I mean with public spaces, city streets, parks, beaches, plazas, promenades, uh, indoor spaces as well, such as shopping malls and restaurants. Finally, we will share our views from disciplinary and scholarly experiences on what the new normality in urban planning will be after COVID-19 and uh, how it's going to change if things didn't improve. So we will start with a short introduction about you, Tess and Ghazal. Uh, can you please give us some information about your background and uh, current work? Thank you, May. So I work as a scientist and planner within a private consulting firm called Brown and Caldwell. I'm based in San Francisco, California. And a lot of the work I do is engaging in projects with private and public agencies. So many of those are cities and regional departments, various entities. Um, and the work spans really across the U.S., so in, in various states, quite a lot in California. And the majority of these projects are water-related or environmentally focused. Uh, for myself, my background and um, expertise is in risk, resilience, and climate change adaptation. Also worked for a number of years outside the U.S. and especially across the EU. Um, I completed my MSc at the University of Oxford and PhD through an EU Marie Curie Fellowship at TU Dortmund. And I continue to write and teach as a guest lecturer at TU Dortmund on topics, uh, the intersection of water and planning. And um, uh, I'm just in general, looking forward to our discussion today and appreciate you having me. Hello, everybody. I'm Ghazal Farjami. I'm uh, working as a head of Department of Interior Architecture uh, in DHEI University as an assistant professor in Isfahan, Iran. Uh, I'm also assigned as a member of Research and Technology Center dealing with different international projects. Um, uh, we're collaborating with MACE uh, as head of research group in uh, DIADE uh, founded project about climate change challenges between TU Dortmund and DHI University. Uh, dealing with research projects beside teaching experiences resulted in uh, several papers published in my field of studies such as uh, theory of architecture, tectonics, and both contemporary and traditional uh, Iranian architecture. And uh, I hope that we're going to have a um, fruitful uh, conversation. Thank you for introducing yourself. I'll also share some information about my background. I currently work part-time at the TU Dortmund University Faculty of Special Planning as a project coordinator of a DAD research project about uh, challenges of climate change in Germany and Iran. I collaborated with Ghazal on that project. I also work part-time at the City of Dortmund Department of Urban Renewal as a coordinator of an international research project uh, funded by the European Horizon 2020 program. Uh, and it's about uh, natural-based solutions and the green infrastructure in post-industrial cities. The project consortium consists of 
uh, over 34 partners from seven European cities and a Chinese partner city. And uh, that project, we collaborate at different levels, at the co-design, co-implementation, uh, and the, the research level, of course, of uh, creating uh, nature-based solutions within what we call living labs uh, in, in urban areas of these cities. Um, some information about my educational background. I finished my PhD at the Dortmund University and master's and bachelor's degree at the University of Jordan. Most of my research and teaching experience center on intercultural dialogue projects, collaborating with universities from the Middle East and the Gulf region. In my work, I also focus on co-producing and co-design of public space in metropolitan areas, um, climate change, uh, and transformation of post-industrial polycentric cities. I also do lecturing at universities. So we know that restrictions on social interactions and the use of public space, as well as physical distancing, were key measures to reduce the transmission of COVID-19. Uh, and as a result, public space has witnessed significant challenges in the recent months. So how people uh, use the city of San Francisco and Isfahan during COVID-19. Perhaps we can start with you, Ghazal, since uh, you have a different experience and a different context than the European and North American uh, ones. So what social or cultural changes have you seen in public spaces of Asfahan during COVID-19 outbreak? Uh, yes, uh, as you may experience, uh, Iran has an introverted society, uh, which is based on governmental policies. Uh, so before uh, COVID-19 also, people were not allowed to gather in public spaces. So... Uh, they mostly have their own gatherings in small groups, mostly in private spaces, such as their own houses. Uh, so COVID-19 has resulted in intensifying this introversion. Uh, so in case of urban public spaces, such as uh, Riverside and parks, people are using them the same as before and mostly uh without using masks, uh, let's say, and have picnics there. Uh, so the, because uh, there is a river passing through the city that I'm living in, uh, in Isfahan, as the one of the main access, uh, and there are uh, pass, uh, parks and uh, green areas um, alongside the river. And, and so uh, uh, they're full of people. But in the beginning of uh, this phenomenon uh, in March, for a month, the municipality turned the lightings off and no one were allowed to use these parts. Uh, but now uh, people are using them as before. Uh, while in offices or universities or other official public spaces, there are much more restricted rules which uh, should be considered and people have to, for instance, wear masks mostly. Uh, what about the situation in San Francisco? Uh, what changes do you see in, in the city? So we've seen we've seen a few changes in the use of public spaces, particularly increased accessibility for pedestrians and restaurant goers. So, for example, any businesses who have the ability um, have been able to make use of what was previously parking spaces outside their establishments. So what you'll see are a lot of um, pop up, if you will, pop up dining areas that um, are now being constructed 
right outside the restaurant. Uh, so people can sit there um, and have that for dining. As of right now in the state of California, all indoor um, restaurant activity is um, is not allowed. Uh, so that's that's one way that you'll see a change in in some of that that space use, uh, which is really quite quite a change from before. And um, there's a question of you know will that will that be uh, longstanding? You know even after the pandemic, the um, parks and and generally green spaces is another interesting uh, factor for consideration in terms of just the use of a public space. So what we see now is that these areas are still very regularly used. At the very beginning of the pandemic, there was actually, let's say, uh, too much use. So um, there were hiking trails that had so many people on them that um, they were actually uh, closed because there was no way for uh, people to social distance, uh, to socially distance on these hiking trails. So that was that was kind of interesting just to see that actually they had to close quite a bit of the um, you know state or uh, a, a county or city owned. Um, you know, trails uh, and, and some park areas because there was too much traffic, uh, foot traffic uh, for pedestrians. So that was that was kind of interesting. Now that's a bit less. Um, you're still supposed to be wearing masks uh, if you're you know, using those spaces. And depending on the space, for example, certain parks like Dolores Park, we have uh, uh, circles on the ground in the grass that, you know, painted circles where it, it really is a very, um, very obvious visual of where people can sit and how should they um, sort of congregate in the park to be able to socially distance. And then we've got uh, individuals like park rangers walking around reminding people to wear masks and providing masks to those who, who don't have them. So people are still using these spaces. Um, there's some changes in the use and sort of what that looks like. Um, but in general, that's still something that that's that's going on. Another example is closing down of streets so that it's only uh, used for pedestrians. Um, and you've got some folks like volunteers invest monitoring um, the situation in, in these areas. So that's been kind of an interesting change uh, to what we've seen before. Um, and then there are a lot of signs, a lot of public noticing in these public spaces to alert people and, and educate people on what they should be doing. Um, one thing to note is that there are some areas in, in the city when you think about neighborhoods and sort of the needs of, of the people using these spaces, you know, some areas have been impacted by COVID-19 um, more substantially than, than others. And one neighborhood is the, the Tenderloin, which is in kind of the heart of the city. There's a substantial homelessness population, many people who are unsheltered, who are um, at heightened risk of, of infection and lower access to healthcare services. So one of, the, one of the other, I would say, social changes that we can observe is in the policy and sort of um, general planning uh, for people living in, in some of these areas. So, for example, there's a specific safety, a neighborhood safety plan uh, for that particular neighborhood and a lot of efforts that have been increased by the city to provide basic services to this area and also, <clears throat> also to others. One positive thing is that there's just generally less traffic overall. So um, that'll be interesting to see kind of the return to that um, or, or not, but that's been kind of an impact on the use of space and also the use of changing, the impact of changing spaces to uh, be more pedestrian friendly. Mm -hmm. The part you mentioned this about the expanded outdoor dining area of restaurants in San Francisco is something we also have in Germany. So in Dortmund, the parking lots of many restaurants are also used to serve diners especially that restaurants are working at half capacity after the lockdown period. 
and they need more space to maintain social distancing measures. Uh, this seems to be a practical solution, however, not for the long term. So the weather in California is relatively moderate year long, but in Dortmund, the weather is warm for a few months. And uh, after that, uh, outdoor parking spaces cannot be used for dining purposes. So we will see how this will be in, uh, in winter. Another observation is um, the increased use of public spaces in, uh, and parks uh, during the outbreak. So especially that several popular city parks in Dortmund, such as Westfalen Park, were closed and outdoor activities were limited during the, the lockdown period in like first half of second half of March and first half of April. And during these times, people were literally literally not allowed to uh, meet in groups. And I mean, with that, people more than two um, like more than two people, unless they were family members or people living within the same household. What is also interesting is to, to have a broader look and to see how different countries are uh, dealing with this uh, pandemic uh, when it comes, I mean, at the social interaction and access to public space. So although many uh, countries uh, and um, European countries and, any, and other countries around the, around the world, I, uh, I know by fact, for example, that in Jordan and Dubai, uh, that they followed similar approaches of closure of parks and other public uh, facilities like schools and um, uh, and daycares. Um, however, we see that other countries like uh, Sweden or Denmark, uh, in Denmark as well documented in Gale's work, public space and public life during COVID-19, uh, they took a different approach, approach uh, to, uh, the, to the pandemic and uh, they dealt with it on basis of trust and civic responsibility. And I think this is a better approach because um, it does not limit the right of individuals to access and use public space as public space is, um, is an important, uh, is a very important and uh, um, essential part of uh, creating solidarity, social solidarity, during, especially during these difficult times, and allowing uh, physical activities and social social interaction. So this is the best the best place actually to uh, to offer social interaction at, at a distance. What was also noticeable in the first uh, few weeks uh, of the pandemic is the absence of risky groups, and I mean older people, in in most of the popular spaces in Dortmund, uh, especially in the weekend market. But this has changed after the lockdown period in, in April and afterwards, especially uh, after the enforcement of wearing masks. And wearing masks is, uh, is a whole topic itself. It's not part of the culture uh, in Dortmund nor in Germany to wear masks. So it was really difficult at the beginning to commit to wearing masks. And now it's getting a little uh, part of the culture or the new norm for the short term. And uh, there is even uh, a kind of uh, social uh, responsibility and social management uh, towards wearing masks. So people, uh, people wear masks now and uh, we see it's, it's accepted now. And uh, wearing masks on buses and trains and when uh, shopping, like indoor spaces, has been mandatory in Northern Spelia since April 27, and in most German states as well. And all people over the age of 60 years uh, should wear a mask uh, or uh, clothes face coverage. And we see that we have uh, different types of masks, uh, masks in Dortmund. The most common ones are the surgical disposable masks. I use them myself. Uh, they're 
um, light, you don't have to wash them, and uh, uh, affordable, you find them everywhere. So there are advantages uh, about them. Although they are loose fitting and they provide little protection against very like small particles from the uh, from coughs and sneezes, um, yeah, and I think most people are wearing these masks. Uh, a considerable number of people wear N95 masks, and they're professional masks, and they're protected from uh, tiny droplets that remain suspended in the air. I think like more careful people uh, prefer to use these masks. Uh, what is also getting more and more popular is a cloth masking. We're starting even to see that many people are making the, uh, their own masks. Um, and um, it looks good as well. Uh, a less common type is uh, the face shield, uh, which is used uh, only in retail buildings and department stores. And um, uh, I think typically it should be, uh, it should be um, Worn in addition to uh, clothes or to mouth masking, but uh, like the the ones uh, using this uh, uh, this type of mask are using it because it, it provides like space where you can breathe easy easily, and um, yeah, it's better than uh, the mouth masking, the typical ones in that sense, since they they're working for many hours. So what about the situation in San Francisco and Isfahan? As you mentioned, that public spaces and the banks of the Zayndarud River are not intensely used in uh, in the pandemic times. What about the indoor spaces, Grand Bazaar and shopping malls? And do people wear masks in Asfahan? So, what is your experience on that? Uh, you know, uh, since it's not compulsory here, uh, it is mostly based on individual awareness. Uh, so it seems that some people still do not believe that COVID-19 exists and some other are afraid and uh, get it serious. Uh, so we can see different kind of reactions uh, to the situation. Uh, but, um, you know, maybe some people also, they do not uh, spend money for buying masks. Uh, so... Um, even you can see some people are wearing them, but put them down when they want to talk, which is also related to their awareness about uh, the benefits and how they have to use and why they're using these masks. Uh, so, as I've mentioned, it is mostly related to individual awareness, and uh, so it is resulted in self-organized movements. Yeah. Uh, so I saw some students uh, at university who were drawing masks for recycled bins in the street, which was a very interesting, impressive movement. Uh, also in some streets some days before, I saw children standing in front of the cars, uh, stop them and uh, ask them to wear their masks. Uh, so it can be said that um, COVID-19 brought more social activism among people. Uh, uh, we can see also some people started to disinfect uh, the streets and work in hospitals voluntarily. Uh, another thing is that nowadays masks become a part of clothes and fashion designers are producing different models of them. Uh, which may encourage them uh, using masks. Um, 
But in general, if I want to say, it's not still a, po- uh, a part of culture, and I think it, it needs time. Okay, so it is not uh, like there is no fine uh, for not wearing a mask in public spaces mm-hmm. in Asbahan. No, no, there is no punishment, there is no fines in the whole country, so it is totally depend on uh, people's awareness, and if they, uh, you know, uh, they believe that there is something <laughs> happening and they have to uh, wear them to protect uh, the others and themselves as well, otherwise they're not wearing them. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely the case in Dortmund as well. Besides that, of course, everything in Germany is regulated. And uh, although there is like high sense of awareness in, in Dortmund of uh, wearing masks, but of course, it, this is enforced by uh, regulations. And uh, recently, it's even uh, mandatory to, work, to wear masks in a school. So students, they have to wear masks now. Uh, um, until end of August, until they see if this is efficient, especially for uh, pupils, which is like it's it's not easy to to uh, to keep them or or to um, force them, let's say, wear uh, to wear mask uh, like for I don't know six or eight hours, and uh, this will this will be uh, let's say let's say monitored until uh, end of August to see if it's uh, if it's an efficient uh, let's say measure. And uh, I know that there is a fine for not wearing a mask. Uh, there is 150 euros that should be paid. Um, although, as uh, just as you mentioned, Razal, like it's it's up to people uh, what they think about it and the way they uh, uh, like their sense of uh, collective responsibility. Of course, besides the the regulatory part of uh, having a fine, there is. Like kind of like let's say social punishment. If you don't wear a mask, people will look at you like, well, why don't you obey the uh, the regulation or just um, do that what 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 most people are doing? So this is um, it. All can be seen in uh, in the uh, in the public arena in Dortmund. Uh, how is the situation uh, test in San Francisco? So we know that, uh, like with with the with the Black Lives Matters protest, we all heard about it, and of course the uh, the the gathering in masses, and now the uh, the presidential election just just about to come. So how is the situation, and what's your observation about the uh, wearing masks, and how strictly uh, is the enforcement of social distancing rules rules uh, 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 followed so I, I think first off I, you know wearing a mask is not particularly part of the culture inherent in in San Francisco or, or really generally in the US um, as compared to other places around the globe however you know uh, it is mandated at the state level in California from the office of the governor so um, there you know there is there is a requirement now and in terms of fines, it's interesting. It kind of depends, not kind of, it really depends on the the county. Um, so we've got, you know, the state level and, and regional and, and county levels and city levels uh, here. And depending on the county, you can have no fines or you can have quite substantial fines for being cited uh, not wearing a mask. So for example, in Marin County, which is just above, um, you know, above the city of San Francisco north of here, you know, fines can vary between maybe $25 to $500 at the individual level. 
And then there are also fines for businesses. So that can be anything, you know, maybe 250 to, you know, 10,000 or more, depending you know, on the business and, and infraction. But so that's, that's a quite a wide range. Um, and, but there are fines uh, depending on the county and implementation and enforcement um, also kind of varies widely depending on local implementation. What, what's interesting is um, particularly with, you know, the protests and um, different kinds of gatherings, whether that's for uh, a political, whether it's a rally or some kind of a, a campaign, um, you know, uh, event, um, you'll see that just at kind of at a higher level, um, there are many events that have been canceled. Anything that is a, uh, a mass gathering, for example, at least in the state of California, um, has been, uh, you're, you're really not supposed to have those. Um, that even goes down to the level of congregations uh, for you know, different uh, religious groups. So, for example, for churches um, and, and larger churches, uh, that that's also been included in the list of, um, you know, not having in-person gatherings. And so you'll see a lot of virtual options uh, for that. Um, in terms of how that that works at, in, in practice, there are still some, some uh, establishments or some congregations, let's say, that are meeting outside um, and trying to social distance. So um, there are there are definitely examples of where um, uh, the in practice following or not following varies. Um, and there's some arguments about, you know, is it lawful for uh, that to, to, to be prohibited? Um, in terms of protests, you know, having participated in several of the Black Lives Matter protests at, in the city of San Francisco, um, I would say just from my own observation that um, there were quite a few people wearing masks. It is awfully difficult to social distance in a protest. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, maybe not something that, that happens uh, as, uh, as easily. However, just in, in my own experience and having participated in some of those protests, um, there are quite a number of people wearing masks, and uh, that was um, pretty pretty easily observable um, across uh, uh, the majority of the, the uh, participants. So um, one thing that is kind of interesting in terms of what people are doing in public spaces and you know how they are wearing masks or not, you'll see even for those individuals who are engaging in outdoor exercise, you'll see bandanas or snoods or some kind of face covering often worn by by individuals who are, are exercising outside even. Um, and uh, I will say from personal experience, trying to go uphill with a cloth mask is not ideal. Um, but, you know, if you can get 30 feet or so away from other people, it's socially acceptable to have that, you know, your mask down and put it back up if you get closer to people. But there is um, maybe sort of what, what you had said about, um, and I think social shaming is maybe a bit too harsh of a word, but in that direction, you know, in terms of the, Kind of social pressure to make sure you you are uh, covered if you're in a group of people. Um, there is a sense of that uh, to a certain extent, um, and you typically see the majority of people walking down the street wearing a mask. Um, and the variety of what you see that qualifies as a mask is, is a pretty pretty wide range. It's interesting about the comment and um, that Gaza uh, gave about sort of the fashion part of this. Um, you'll see people have been pretty creative in creating their own masks. Some of them are a bit bedazzled with, you know, all sorts of things on the mask, as long as they're, you know, cloth and covered that they, you know, they, they count, but there's quite a wide range, not as much with the face shields. We don't see quite, quite as many of those, but definitely, definitely a lot of cloth masks. Um, and uh, I would say also that there's an incentive to 
not just because it's required, but there's an incentive to wear them because it's you know, not having a mask becomes a barrier for entry for most establishments. That includes grocery stores, any kind of essential services, um, any 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 business that's open right now. Uh, you you are required to have a mask when you go inside and um, try to maintain some social distancing. So uh, how is the situation in Asfahan, Ghazal, and uh, how strictly is the enforcement of social distancing rules? Uh, as you might be familiar with the situation Mace, uh, in Iranian culture, the same as some other uh, Eastern con- uh, countries, uh, people used to shake hands, uh, hug or kiss when they meet each other, uh, which is decreased a lot, uh, although it was difficult in the beginning, but people learned to quit these kind of habits. And so far as now, the uh, they hesitate doing that. So I can say that it's mostly, uh, you know, eliminated from the culture. Uh also, there are uh, so many religious uh, gatherings uh, according to the society and governmental policies that one of which uh, as the most uh, famous uh, religious gathering is quite close called Ashura and uh, they're announcing that uh, they will hold uh, this gathering with some protocols such as uh, keeping two meters of um, distance among participants, but no one knows that what will happen after uh, this. So, um, you know, it's not uh, possible to consider this everywhere. Uh, but especially the ones who are wearing masks, uh, they mostly are thinking that the masks will protect them and they do not need to keep distance. But, uh, you know, uh, it might be difficult to say it in general, but I'm talking about my own observations that um, masks are much more popular than uh, social distancing in Isfana now. Yeah, it is. Um, it's um, yeah. What you mentioned about the greeting, we see this as well in Dortmund, and I think all over the world that uh, we see like people they're avoiding now handshakes. This is the same case in Dortmund. The people uh, don't greet like this anymore or hugs. And uh, it's interesting to see that they're they're getting they're. Um, now there are different practices uh, to greet, like eye contact. They emphasize on eye contact more, or with uh, with elbow bumping. And uh, this is like this is unusual greeting form, uh, at least in Dortmund. And we see people are using this nowadays, and it's getting it's funny and uh, socially acceptable as well, even in uh, in uh, informal uh, uh, settings. Let's say. It's difficult to anticipate, especially with the continuous uh, uh, increased numbers, and sometimes it increases, sometimes decreases, and uh, so it's really difficult to anticipate for how long the uh, uh, COVID-19 will uh, will continue. But uh, what do you think, uh, Ghazal and Tess, uh, what are uh, the major shifts in cities will be after the pandemic, and socially speaking, but of course... Uh, feel free to mention the other aspects. So what are the uh, the key takeaways from experiencing this pandemic? Maybe we can start with you, Tess. Sure. Um, so there's, 
I think a few things that we can consider and a lot of uncertainty in terms of whether or not um, certain changes that we've observed during the pandemic, whether or not those are going to continue as we see you know, restrictions lessen, um, as we see changes uh, going forward. So for example, in San Francisco, you know, this is a very expensive place to live. Um, it surpassed New York City in terms of uh, cost of living um, in, and being one of the most expensive cities in the U.S. at least to uh, uh, to live in either rent or own uh, own a home. Um, what's been interesting with the pandemic is that uh, a lot of people are now being encouraged to or required to work from home. So that virtual setting is is definitely a, a shift for some some people, and and actually quite a lot of um, there's, there's, there's a, a bit of a, a shift in mindset of, well, you know, if I'm, if I have to work from home and I'm going to be virtual, I don't have this commute anymore. I don't necessarily need to keep living in a place where I need to pay this much for my rent for all aspects of cost of living. Um, and particularly when the city itself, uh, has substantially reduced economic activity. So there are parts of the city that are very much like ghost towns because, there are businesses, especially non-essential businesses, that have been shut down and um, have not reopened yet, and it's uncertain exactly when those are going to be reopened. So even the types of activities you can do in the city um, have have really dramatically changed. And so there are many people who have started leaving the city, and there are enough people that have started leaving the city that even the cost of rent in some places you'll see, you know, rent is starting to the asking price for places is starting to decrease. And that has been unheard of for, um, gosh, I, I can't remember the last time where uh, I'd have to look that up. <laughs> Historically, when rent prices have actually decreased from year to year in San Francisco as, as opposed to increase. So that's that's a big change. And depending on, um, I think, the sort of demographic shifts within you know the city, uh, we may continue to see see that change. Um, and, you know, shifting the demographic of the city definitely changes, you know, the, the people who are using that space um, and uh, also the way we maybe view and, and plan for use of, of, of that space. So uh, one other thing to think about is in the future, the, the concept of making space for people, um, having more pedestrian friendly environments um, is something that I, I think uh, folks who are still living in the city would like to see a continuation of. So that kind of that kind of planning, that kind of use of, of open space and public space, and seeing a continuation and encouragement of that over time, you know, the city had a few uh, various projects, and particularly, you know, some sort of um, nature-based solution type projects that sort of encouraged that direction. And I think you're going to see a continued push to have more of those kinds of projects, depending on what can be funded, and the funding and the economic impacts are a whole nother topic that we could spend an entire uh, podcast talking about. But the short version is, you know, when you think about a city and city planning and planning for those spaces, you know, where does the budget come from for that? Um, and if you have a change in, even for the utilities, for example, a change in ratepayer base where you have people who either can't afford, they've lost their jobs due to COVID. Um, they, you know, are worried about being evicted at actually as a side note, as of right now, there's an eviction moratorium. So during COVID, no one can be, Know, removed from their their homes due to, to um, you know inability to pay, but the same goes uh, it holds true for for utilities. So um, there are a, there's a prohibition on on shutoffs for water and power uh, within the state of California. And what's interesting is 
you think about, you know, what funds being able to to um, make changes and improve some of these spaces. Well, over time, it'll be interesting to see what's the impact and the lasting impact of a change in revenue for the city. Um, and based on, you know, are they are they collecting that same amount of revenue or, or not? So that'll be that'll be interesting to kind of see over time. The last thing and kind of a positive thing to maybe as a last item I'd add is just that there seems to be an enhanced appreciation for the environment, for the accessibility to be outdoors. Um, and in general, there's been, because of less traffic, um, there has been a bit less pollution and that's something that's been a positive observation. But having people really have this, um, you know, enhanced sense of appreciation for being able to have that that open space and, and outdoor activity has been um, has been a, a, a change that I think we'll continue to see. So Ghazal, what, uh, what do you think about the uh, major shift in, in Asfahan will be in the future or after the pandemic? Uh, you know, although it's, uh, as you mentioned, it's difficult to anticipate that and it's too early, but uh, I think uh, from what we are experiencing now, we can have uh, some viewpoints that uh, will happen in future. So um, I think cities uh, have to find a solution other than current time. So uh, what uh, I can see that's happening in the city is that uh, the safety measures has decreased a lot um, because of the economic situation and uh, uh, by arrival of COVID-19, it even get worse. Uh, another uh, thing that can be seen is about the home offices, that uh, it's not uh, just about Iran or uh, Isfahan, it's happening in the whole world that um, home offices are getting more popular. Uh, while here we have, uh, you know, we do not have that much proper infrastructures, uh, which are trying to get them better. And uh, people are using uh, cyber spaces more than before, um, so uh, they can, have, you know, in order to have their voices uh, more than the real world, they're using cyber spaces and communicating uh, in virtual spaces. Uh, but um, if I want to talk about my own career, uh, when uh, we're teaching uh, in cyberspaces and online courses and students are doing their projects in the same way. Now, what I feel is that they're losing their uh, creativity because uh, they're consuming ideas from internet more than before. Uh, and uh, we're, you know, losing face-to-face face no lessons, uh, so they're not producing any new ideas anymore. And um, according um, to my field of study in architecture, what I can see is that we have to consider much more comprehensive design uh, for our houses than before, uh, because uh, people will spend much more time at home and these uh, kind of houses has to be multifunctional that people uh, can use them for uh, different kind of activities. 
uh, that they didn't use before. Um, so maybe public spaces using them might uh, decrease or the, you know, the way that we're designing them has to be changed and we have to consider much more, um, let's say, um, proper uh, solutions in having houses in which people can feel um, not only safe, but also um, they can ha- spend uh, time uh, and, ver- and uh, you know, I think they have to spend effective time at their homes because they start working in these kind of spaces um, from COVID-19. Uh, so uh, this is what I think that will happen uh, in our cities. I share many of your reflections, Ghazalan, because there are indeed positive sides and advantages about COVID-19. Just as you mentioned, Ghazal, the virtual space has allowed many people to interact and join events from uh, overseas. Uh, this offers a flexibility, of course, and uh, saves travel time. But this will, uh, will not be a replacement uh, of the physical space where active interaction is uh, taking place. I'll also share some of my reflections uh, on um, major shifts in cities, especially in Dortmund. So at the, um, uh, at the level of human activity, the current safety practice of 1.5 meter distancing, facial coverage and repeated hand washing will continue in the short term and people will avoid uh, uh, using shared facilities in the city spaces. At the other end, I think pandemics throughout history, such as Black Death, Influenza, Spanish Flu, and other pandemics have not changed much in the way people uh, interact and socialize in space. So people will still meet, hug, greet uh, the way they did before, and sit outside in restaurants. It seems unlikely that um, uh, that space will change much after COVID-19. What is also interesting to notice or to observe is the psychological part of experiencing this pandemic and the shift in people's attitude. So people by and large were uh, paranoid of getting sick of COVID-19 and self-quarantine and isolated themselves. Yet the longer the the risk of uh, this pandemic lasted, the more uh, people accepted and embraced uncertainty. And uh, uh, this has manifested itself in the case of Dortmund and in many other cities uh, in the increased use of uh, public spaces and parks, despite the, ex- uh, the excessive amount of information uh, about this pandemic. And I actually think that the more people um, have information about this, uh, about COVID-19, the less they care. So people just, people want to just move on with their life and travel, I just live it as the way they, they had it before. And I think this is a healthy development as it leads to a psychological robustness or even beyond that, as Nassim Talib describes in his book, Antifragility. So the state of antifragility that people uh, reach or in the process of reaching is uh, more than resistance or robustness or resilience as uh, being resilient, for example, means to face shocks and to remain the same uh, as before while anti-fragility mechanisms imply becoming better and stronger. And uh, 
this has in return an impact on people's idea about uncertainty and becoming comfortable with the unknown despite like the natural uh, uh, tendency of uh, preferring predictability and stability so this is um, this is it, it has this psychological uh, impact um there are lessons uh, learned for planners as well so planning typically inhabits this uh, risk taking and uh, um, yeah the the planning yeah find solutions for everything so i think we uh, with with the with the planning now we should like leave space for uh, uncertainty or for the unpredictable events so this is uh, like a big lessons uh, a big lesson in this uh, pandemic uh, I see that many private companies will allow or even encourage home office, and this will have implication on city planning, which have so far been designed to separate work from ledger and living. So the interrelation between inside, outside, public, private has to be uh, uh, restudied. Uh, the online commerce will increase, and thus demand in restaurants and uh, retail store, uh, stores will be reduced. Uh, so planners consider in this relation uh, um, how to keep the city center alive and how to use the front area of uh, of the restaurant, especially the closed restaurant. Um, and finally, at the uh, environmental level, I think that uh, appreciation of nature and the green infrastructure has increased, as well as using bicycles as an alternative to private cars and public transportation. And cities will implement more nature-based projects that focuses on nature and improving the quality of life. And in the Department of Urban Renewal, there are many new projects such as the International Garden Exhibition, EGA 2027, and the PROGERIC, the, the European uh, Research Project, uh, European Commission Research Project I'm working on, which are focusing on uh, uh, implementing measures that strengthen connection to nature especially in the northern part of Dortmund, where the post-industrial part, where many uh, low-income groups are living. Uh, one last comment uh, I just remembered. We I think there are uh, new typologies, or let's say typologies of public space that uh, didn't gain much attention then. Now they're emerging, and now they're gaining more attention, and uh, particularly the uh, small gardens or uh, allotment gardens or community gardens or the way it's called in Germany, Schriebergarten, which is a special type of garden that uh, was developed in the late 19th century. Uh, it was basically conceived for um, uh, for guest workers uh, um, after World War II uh, to compensate or to offer them the quality of, uh, of farming and uh, countryside they, uh, they had in their home country. And now we're seeing more uh, like younger generation, they're attracted to, to, to this kind of uh, gardens and uh, it will increase as well, the, uh, the interest in these gardens. At the end of our episode, uh, I would like to ask you what brings you joy nowadays? Uh, so maybe we can start with you, Tess. Sure. Um, I think just in general, and I think we've, we've kind of touched on some of this throughout our conversation, but examples of people coming together um, everyone is is vulnerable at this time, whether you're a vulnerable group or or not. Um, and just being able to see examples of solidarity has been 
really uplifting. So for example, a um, very specific example, at least in the city of San Francisco, are the murals that have popped up throughout the city that have been painted on the boarded windows of businesses who have closed. And a lot of the um, messages that you'll see are messages of you know, either anti-racism or solidarity or um, you know, just in general, you know, protecting uh, each other and, and being safe as a community. Uh, so that's that's really been a very positive thing to see. And I think we'll start to continue to see more of that, you know, people trying to have a common cause and think of something beyond yourself as a, a good source of inspiration right now. Uh, what what Thanks, about you, Razen? Uh, you know, likewise, uh, other phenomenon in the life, uh, it has also both uh, positive and negative effects on our lives. But uh, if I want to think about uh, the positive sides, uh, I can mention uh, that, um, you know, I mostly I have more time for myself to Uh, spend on uh, things that I like because I'm uh, staying home more. So uh, I'm dealing with more works at the same time. And uh, so accordingly, uh, I use my time more efficiently. And as I mentioned about designing mon uh, multifunctional spaces of houses, I myself also become multifunctional as well. And I can do... Uh, more than one work at the same time so mm -hmm. and um, you know I uh, I'm trying to use to this uh, new situation uh, and spending uh, much more time for myself and um, this is the good point that comes into my mind now I agree with what you mentioned actually there are good things that uh, COVID-19 has brought I appreciate the slower pace of life uh, it has caused, especially at the beginning of the lockdown period when we needed more time to adjust. I also appreciate, uh, particularly appreciate, the community spirit and the solidarity we're experiencing today and the fact that uh, individual and social divisions are vanishing or, let's say, getting less and people are united to fight uh, this pandemic. Uh, well, with these reflections about joy and positive sides of COVID-19, we reach the end of our uh, podcast. So thank you very much, Tessan Ghazal, for joining and for your contribution and thoughtful insights. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. For more information, visit our website, urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.